Welcome to another edition of the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian Fulford and AD Drew here, here to recap another great weekend of HBCU football. Week number three is in the books. Drew, how you doing, my man? I'm doing fine, my brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, doing well. Still, uh, still feel like I'm catching myself up after being on the road and uh, you know, traveling and, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a big catch up, you know, didn't get a yeah. chance to go through all of the uh, postseason notes and all those kind of things that I, that I would love to be able to do, but uh, I'm doing okay. Doing all right. Yeah. Did, uh, what a- did you get rain where you at in Savannah? Cause I know uh, th- throughout the Southern Georgia and into Alabama, there was a, there was a lot of rain. A lot of games were delayed. Uh, yesterday. Fortunately, we had beautiful weather on the marsh, as they call it in Savannah. And there was some rain heading there, and then there was rain on the way back. And so uh, we, we managed to, I guess, avoid, you know, any kind of delays during the game. It was a, it was a pretty it's a pretty nice evening, Saturday night, for a great SIC matchup. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And uh, you know it was just a good, just a good weekend overall. So yeah, we we saw the the delays in Tuskegee, uh, as you called it earlier, a historic delay. Yes, it was a historic delay, and uh, during the delay, uh, we were milling around at the press box. Full disclosure: I used to uh, graduate from Tuskegee, used to work at Tuskegee, various many ties to the athletic department, and everybody was sitting around was like. This has never happened to us before here at Tuskegee. And first lightning delay that anybody could recall since the lightning rule came in in 2006 for uh, NCAA sports. So, uh, and then even talking to some old school football players who work at the university now, they don't remember uh, a game being delayed because of lightning or that, that type of rain at Alumni Bowl in Tuskegee. And for those of you all who have never been to a football game at Tuskegee, the shed that's so famous is metal. So, obviously, (laughs) it was built in 1924, my brother. Yeah, you uh, not not suitable conditions in a uh, lightning storm. Not at so all. They, Not obviously, at all. Obviously, they 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 had to clear the stadium because you know because of that. And the other thing is, Tuskegee does not have lights. 
Wow. So we were sitting up there. You like, we know if you don't get this game started by two thirty or so, because we we were literally ten minutes into the game. There was six minutes off of the clock. It stopped at the nine oh nine mark. Ten, no more than fifteen minutes of real time into the game, and. A little bit after two o'clock, we were all set up and like, y'all realize we don't get this game started uh, within the next 30, 45 minutes. We will not finish this game because I have been down there when the sun goes down and, it, and it's it's real fast. Uh, you know, I, I thought Wrigley Field was the last historic stadium to put lights up, but not thinking about Until it. Until you go to Central uh, Alabama. Cleve, Cleve, uh, Cleve Abbott is that that's the name of the stadium, right? Cleve Abbott Stadium, Cleve Abbott Memorial Alumni Bowl. Okay, sorry, I, mean, I, I knew the, I got the first. Oh, excuse me, excuse <laughs> me, I got the first, I got the first part of it right or somewhat right. Yeah, so that that now should go in somebody's Wikipedia as the last historic stadium without without lights. Uh, for it for a night game, so we can't wait for that day to come. It'll be a big day in Tuskegee, I'm sure. And, uh, but uh, and let's former hear. NFL player, hold up, former NFL player Ken Woodard, who obviously played his ball at Tuskegee, was like, "Man, you know, back in the day, they used to call the physical plan, have them bring all the trucks around the, the the top of the hill and shine the lights down so that they could they could practice it." That's uh, wow. That's. <laughs> I have no no comment, no words for that. But uh, I guess that it, it is it is what it is, and still was, and still is today. Yeah. So uh, we got a a big week uh, to go through. Um, we'll kind of we'll kind of jump around here in some of the significant stories from this past weekend. Um, before we get going, make sure if you're watching us, where you're watching us, if you're watching us on uh, Facebook, or if you're watching us on YouTube. Make sure to go ahead and like now, please. Thank you. And uh, make sure to uh, go ahead and share the feed with a friend. Uh, let them know the sports wrap is uh, recapping week number three here. And, uh, you know, obviously we want to encourage you to make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at MyBCSN1. Go ahead and download the Jericho Broadcast Network's app right there in the top right corner, MyJBN, MyBCSN. Go find our app on the google or apple play store you could have been watching the game obviously i know there were some delays from tuskegee but uh you know we were streaming everywhere so it was good to be uh there with the tuskegee digital network and be able to bring that game uh to you uh streaming on facebook youtube even on uh our website mybcsn.net and so it's everywhere so uh good uh good opportunity there to stay up with us so Excuse me. So, Drew, as we get into looking at week number three, I'm looking for a common theme. And I guess when I say that, I'm I'm looking at... Outside of rain, right? What's that? Outside of the theme of rain for the weekend? Yeah, sure, right. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, you know, at least the games got finished. You know, the games, we didn't have one of those... uh, Who was it last year? Uh, Miles and... uh, uh, was that Benedict Clark? That was Clark. Yeah, Miles and Clark. Miles and, Clark. That- and I think it, if I recall right, it was homecoming. We were talking about that one in the booth also. They gained and finished at like 1 a.m. Uh, Central Time, 2 o'clock Eastern, 2 or 3 yeah, o'clock. Yeah, it was Miles like homecoming that. That, uh, that started 
started on one evening. Miles was losing, and then they went into the next day and had to win uh, that morning. So uh, after the delay, they managed to and – and that was because that was a conference game that they had to actually get that game played. So that game had to happen. But uh, as I was thinking about the theme for this week, what I can say for sure is that for the second consecutive week, the SWAC got a win against the Southland Conference, an FCS opponent. And, and we noted last week when Alcorn State defeated Northwestern State, that was the first time since, uh, what, 2017, was it, Drew? Yes. Uh, I believe it was like October 2017. Right. Well, you know, two weeks in a row and, you know, against another Southland Conference opponent, this time it's Prairie View A&M getting the big win, 37-27 to 27 over Houston Baptist. Prairie View improves to 2-1. and one. Uh, You know, individually, how about a first quarter that featured 41 points in the first quarter? Prairie View and Houston Baptist putting up points in the first quarter like it was going out of style. I mean, big play after big play. I mean, the time of possessions are ridiculous. There was only... One score that went, or one possession that went over like two two fifteen, actually two seventeen. You know that was a five minute possession by Houston Baptist at the end of the first quarter. But you know, all in all, a good opportunity there for a preview who at one point was trailing in the contest twenty seven twenty three, managed to. Uh, score and close out the game uh, in the third quarter. Actually close out the game in the fourth quarter with an interception for a touchdown. Uh, so that's a good win for Prairie View. Good win for the conference, first off, against Southland. Now, you know, I don't, I don't know, Drew, if, if, if does it matter who these teams were in terms of their rankings and standings? Because I don't think Northwestern had a win prior to, lose, uh, prior to playing Alcorn, and I don't think well, I know Houston Baptist still does not have a win. So, I don't know. Does that matter to you in the big picture? In the big picture, no, because SWAC just needed victories. SWAC just needed to find somebody to beat who was considered a FCS opponent. Now, if when it comes down to possible playoffs and getting a – non-division champion into the playoffs yeah that will come back possibly to hurt the swag but the fact that they were able to get a win against a conference that's quote-unquote ranked higher than them yes it, it 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 does matter yeah and the good thing is and i will talk about this in a second i think the swag has a legitimate top 25 team in their conference and so when you add that into the – actually, I'll go so far as to say a top 20 team. I mean, they literally – Probably and, and, two as of right now. Uh, possibly, possibly. Definitely they should have one. But yeah. uh, taking that into consideration, then you're beating a non-conference. That that will help, no doubt. Uh, just want to give some mention to Jawan Pass, uh, the transfer from Louisville, was 24-35, 365 yards passing. Had two touchdowns, passing, one interception. 
Uh, also ran nine times for 28 yards. Uh, so uh, a good day for for pass. Um, all in all, the uh, Prairie View defense came up with a total of eight sacks in the ball game and two interceptions. So it was a very good day for their defense. You're right over there. Yeah, I hit a button and I don't know what I hit. There we go. I was watching highlights before we went on. Obviously, I queued one of them back up and didn't realize I hit my keyboard. Well, um, so that that was the big. That was one of the big games that I that I thought I wanted to start with. But I but I I'll also I want to start with, you know, it's. Uh, also, the first win for uh, well, well, let me backtrack for a second because I, I, I wanted to mention I want to stay with the swag in that theme that we're talking about because despite Jackson State losing by a score of twelve to seven, okay, Jackson State lost to uh, UL Monroe twelve to seven. That was a winnable ball game. That was a, I mean, that was minus a game that by all correct. minus the four turnovers and. I don't care what you say. The best defense right now in black college football is Jackson State's defense. They have only allowed one touchdown in three games, and that one touchdown came on a, a Hail Mary at the end of the uh, contest against Tennessee State. So needless to say, I mean, look, they held FAMU to three field, or two field goals. Uh, they held, they should have held Tennessee State to three, and then four field goals here against UL Monroe, and you know wow. that was wow. a game. No four the score. Final score was twelve to seven. Yeah, and 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 ULM kicked field goals right after after trailing seven to six. ULM had to kick a 45, 42, and a forty nine yarder. So it wasn't easy. <laughs> it was not easy for them to pull that off. But I mean, you know, somebody in that in that conference, that young man uh, from ULM, he definitely should be the special teams player of the week for doing what he did. But let's talk about where Jackson State is right now, because obviously they had the one interception by uh, Shadour late in that contest in terms of fumbles they lost two fumbles one of them was key uh so that's a total by my count of three turnovers and your opponent you know didn't really turn the ball over at all and that's the difference in a ball game three turnovers to nothing in a, in a game like that so where where do you see Jackson State at this point in the season drew Like we just said, their defense is all of that. Uh, that touchdown pass that Shadur Sanders threw in that game was a pro throw. Definitely was a pro throw. But he, I won't say he reverted, but we have to keep in mind he's a freshman. He has he did some freshman, some freshman things. May have been trying do, to do too much to win the game for uh for Jackson State instead of just 
manage the game and go and do what quarterbacks do. So, but the the turnover that killed Jackson State more than anything else was the muff kickoff after well it wasn't even a muff it was on the return and trying to make the big play instead of going down because he wasn't gonna get no more than what maybe one more yard so you had to go 64 yards instead of 65 yards at that point and that was the turnover that cost Jackson State the opportunity to 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 win that game so but Jackson State has allowed FAMU ULM to stay in the game because of the offensive turnovers. And which really tells you how good that defense is because that defense has been put in some terrible, and I'm sorry, that's why it's a Charles Barkley, terrible (laughs) spots this season and has only given up a couple of field goals. So, you know, give credit to Dennis Thurman and what he's doing on that side of the ball, emphasizing the run, and you could sell out on the run if you're Jackson State when you got guys who could cover one-on-one in the secondary. And that's what they got in, in the model of Deion Sanders when he was playing and Dennis Thurman, who was a safety in Dallas when he played. So, Yeah, that, that, is, a, that is, you know, they played an FBS opponent and honestly, ULM did a good job defensively. I mean, you you should we probably they should get some credit for what they did holding Jackson State to you know uh, I'm, I'm counting punts here at, at least eight punts you know through the course of that ball game, but no drive you know with the exclusion let's see the touchdown drive was a five play drive. But for the most part, uh, the longest drive that Jackson State did have came in that fourth quarter, and that was a nine-play drive. But most of the drives were usually five, six plays. So uh, that was uh, that, that was an outstanding defensive game. Let's, let's just put it like that. I mean, and and, and yes, Jackson State by both teams. Yeah, yeah, definitely was. And I and I was watching that game. I was just trying to see. And let's just say, and let's just be honest, we've seen some bad field goal kicking at the college level. I mean, it's the college level, so it's, it's going to be hit or miss. And it just so happened that this kid from ULM was hitting. I, I mean, I, I don't think I've seen anybody in college hit three consecutive field goals from 42-plus. I, I, I thought at least missed, one of them was going to This last one, the last one I think oh, went it? wide left. Yes, he was four for five. The last one I believe okay. went wide left. Uh, he had the distance. It was just it was just left because that was the one that would. That's why I thought he hit five until I went back to the uh, and looked at. Well, the, yeah, the technically score. he was four he of six. He was actually four of six because he missed. I missed, he missed one at the. Yeah, he missed one at the end of the uh, first half from fifty-one, and then of course you mentioned the one that he missed uh, from forty-eight. But you know, look, the guys out there, he they ran him out there and he had a 45, 42, and forty-nine yarder. So. Um, yeah, so, but, but anyway, Jackson state still, uh, I, I don't, I don't, you'd be crazy to drop them. Anybody who's out there voting, I'll be, it'd be crazy to drop them too far because I think now when people are the pollsters and I'm talking to pollsters out there, 
you got to measure these wins and losses. Yeah, well, well, just in general. I mean, there's several polls out well, there. That, so that's, that's a group, that's a group that we vote with, so we can talk to them directly. <laughs> All right, we can talk directly. So uh, the pollsters, uh, be be mindful of these wins and losses and who they are against. You know, don't get too excited when somebody whoops up on a D two school by 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 thirty versus having a tough loss against an FBS. Or, or I'll say this, even a, a close loss to an FCS. Now, I, I think FCS to FCS, that might be a little bit different where you're measuring apples and apples. So let's just put it like that. Drew, let's take a short break, talk about uh, a few more games throughout the uh, week three wrap-up, uh, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of keep this and get into our segment where we'll talk about who we're bullish and bearish about a little bit later in the show. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian and AD, we'll be back right after these words. Brian Fulford and AD Drew here. Love coming to you and doing these live shows. You know, Drew, I once was a fan of live production and then doing podcasts, but somebody wanted me to do live. Live is what everyone wants. Live is a pain in the butt. I'm just being honest. Just my personal personal. Um, it's a pain but, and a pleasure. Yes, yes, it is. So we appreciate you uh, watching us. Uh, you know, and, and anybody out there, make sure you uh, stick with us. We appreciate you. Uh, honestly, really, we do. Um, at my BCSN one is where you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, make sure you download the Jericho Broadcast Networks app on your Google and Apple Play Store. My JBN, my BCSN is where you can find us. Uh, okay, Drew, I wanted to mention, before we get into talking about some of the other big games, I, I want to give a shout-out and a mention to Eddie George, head coach, Tennessee State University, gets his first win as a head coach. Uh, you know, this uh, from uh, TSUtigers.com, it's been 18 years since Eddie George played in Nissan Stadium as a Titan and he gets his first win there as the head coach of the Tigers for this season. They get a 41-7 to win over Kentucky State, which I got to admit, Drew, I'm shocked by the score. I, I don't know who, I'm if someone was missing. <laughs> well, look, we're, we'll both be shocked then because, I, I look, Kentucky State, you know, I'm very bullish about. And, I, I you know, I, I've seen what they've done over the past season or two. This might – this might be a good indicator of Tennessee State finally playing at that level where they have, you know, eight guys who were selected to the All-OVC, the second most in the conference behind the conference favorite. But they were picked fourth, fourth or fifth. So if, you know, seeing this talent, uh, guys like running back Devon Starling, who had 144 yards on 6.2 yards per carry, uh, obviously, Jeremy Hickbottom had a good day. The transfer from Grambling, four touchdown performance, or accounting for four touchdowns. I believe he threw for three of them. Uh, it, it was just all in all, it was a good day. It, it was a get right day for Tennessee State. And, you know, usually when you play a lower level division team, that's your opportunity to get right going into conference. So, um, any thoughts on Tennessee State? Uh, or on the flip side, on Kentucky State. Total dominance by 
Tennessee State, but let's keep something in mind. Eddie George has barely been there three months. So it's been longer than three months. He's, he's been there since uh, April, May, March. No, no, he didn't remember. He didn't get the job until after the season, which was season ended at the end of April. They hired him in May. Let's be real. He didn't start until June, June, July, August, just over three months to, to get can't didn't have time to go get his players, get your system in, get all your assistants hired. And, you know, it looks like it's just taking them those couple of weeks to get everything started. And, oh, that's how we supposed to be doing that. You know, you're a teacher. Sometimes it takes your students a couple of times to get the concept that you're trying to teach on the whiteboard. So maybe that's what it took for these Tennessee State Tigers to be able to do that. But to dominate Kentucky State, and then let's, let's think about something else. Kentucky State, run first team. Tennessee State, run first team. So what does Tennessee State practice against every day? Stop and run because that's what they that's what they see in practice. So it was a little bit easier of a stretch, possibly for Tennessee State to stop a run first team instead of a throw first team. Also, when you get up against a team that is run first, like a Tennessee State or like a Kentucky State, when you get up more than two scores, those teams are not built for a comeback. They're not big play teams where they they're just going to throw it over the top. And this is not your tech, your your Nebraska, Oklahoma, the past where they could still run that wishbone back in the day in the eighties and still get 70, 80 yards on a touchdown just on that pitch out with Jamel Holloway uh, out there at quarterback for back in the day. Yeah, mid April, mid April is when George got hired. But I I, got, I get your point. I get your point. Um, uh, but he had a lot. The cupboard was not dry. He 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 had a lot. He had a lot in the cupboard, and so um, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see what Tennessee State does. They open up conference play against Southeast Missouri uh, on the road next week. Uh, so uh, that'll be a good opportunity for them. And and pretty much they play the next eight weeks or eight games against OVC opponents uh, next seven weeks against OVC opponents. And then they end the season playing um, FBS Mississippi state. And then, you know, they'll kind of know their fate, but uh, that's uh, uh, congratulations again to uh, Eddie George, Tennessee state for, for getting the win. Let's move over to the nation's capital, Drew. The, Truth and Service Classic. And I have some hard truth to dish out to Howard <laughs> University and Howard Payne. Um, there is only one HU. That is Hampton. Hampton is the HU. They've won the last five years over Howard. They've won this series now by, let me see, by my count... Well, coming into this, they were 53-41-1 leading this series coming in. And so I, I, I think for right now, 
Hampton, Hampton owns HU. There is Howard should just go by H. H. Just H. <laughs> I, you know, uh, after Hampton 48 to 32, we win, call him we, we, we call him celebrity you. Uh, or just call him yeah. graduated from Ham. I mean from Howard. But you know, bison. We'll just call him bison. <laughs> or yeah. <laughs> DC bison. The DC Bison, yeah. I mean, right now Hampton owns that series five straight. Uh, even though you know they did have a celebrity in uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, with the opening coin toss. Uh, should I be critical of a tweet that came out from her Twitter feed that said it's great to be back at the Mecca, even though the game was played uh, on a at the. Uh, at the soccer stadium there in DC, it wasn't really on campus. Should should I be critical of that? Step lightly, my brother. Step lightly. <laughs> Obviously, we know she didn't type that message. That message, you know, you have people who are you have people who are paid to to send out a tweet Official like tweeters. that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, as you can see there. From the highlights, uh, Hampton with a, uh, you know, at one point, uh, pretty much an even ball game in that in that first half. Uh, but then the but then the third quarter kicked in and the third quarter uh, night quarter for Hampton, uh, thanks in part to three turnovers. And uh, that that ended up being uh, all she wrote pretty much for for Hampton. Uh, there was a 95-yard passing touchdown play there for uh, Hampton. Uh, Hezekiah Grimsley, uh, love that name, by the way. Hezekiah Grimsley uh, had three catches for 165 yards, including a 95-yard touchdown. Actually, Drew, is that was one of two 95-yard touchdown plays in the day. That 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 one though was a Big South record. So uh, pretty. Pretty interesting stat. There, any thoughts on the uh, the real HU battle there? Well, Matre Bennett said Howard need a whole new program. Whole new program. A wow. whole new program. That's what he said. That's what he said on Facebook. And shout out to uh, to to Ken Wooder, the voice of the uh, Tuskegee Digital Network, one of the voices of the Tuskegee Digital Network, who's uh, tuning in to us. But no. Hampton has quietly off to a two one start, Brian. Think about that. We left Hampton for dead after week one, and they have snuck in two one start. Would probably get some votes, if not ranked in some HBCU polls this week. So yeah, uh, they got it. They they beat Virginia Union uh, F uh, and uh, Division two. Then they lost to an FBS in Old Dominion. Uh, and then they beat H, uh, you know, this past weekend. And <laughs> they beat them this past weekend. Who happened to be, H happened to be a two and a half point favorite. I wish I would have saw that sooner because I would have, uh, I would have, uh, I would have quickly gone with the real HU on, on that one. So, Needless to say, uh, 48-32, final score. 
and Hampton will get ready to go into conference play. Uh, you know, all seriousness aside, Howard's sitting now 0-3, I believe, the mark for Howard is. Yeah, and, and, and let's think about this. This has been the most competitive game that Howard has had on, on this season. But take those is it? take those three a ten point loss. Unless I'm looking at their schedule wrong. Where did they lose I by mean, ten at? No, this was uh they lost by sixteen. I mean, Where did they lose by ten at? Sixteen. I'm sorry, yeah, Hold on, yes. they lost thirty eight fourteen to Richmond, sixty two yeah. nothing to Maryland. Whoa. Okay, yeah, you're right. This is yeah. the most competitive game they've had. Uh, the non-conference is – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go I was going to say no, no, they, no. Uh, Hampton scored late in, in the ball game. It was a 32-42 ball game. Hampton scored late, did not get the PAT uh, about, about midway through the fourth quarter. But at, even despite the three turnovers, Howard was still relatively in the game because they, they gave up touchdowns or two of those three turnovers in the third quarter. Um, all seriousness aside, what I, uh, what, what I do like though, I do like the fact that a 14,000 people were there. I think that soccer stadium seats in the 20s. So they had a pretty good crowd. That's more people than you would have got at Hampton or Howard. I, I don't think, I know Howard stadium doesn't hold 14. I don't think Hampton's holds 14. Somebody, who, who's more familiar or knows might be able to tell me, but still that that's a good neutral. That's a good neutral site for, for both teams, good distance for both. I, I remember a couple of years ago, they played in Chicago, not really sure that was a good neutral site location. Although it depends on your alumni base in that area, I'm sure. But right. um, is, is yeah. Audi field in Washington DC really a neutral site? It's not, it's not, well, I don't know. The president said it was that the vice president said it was that it was the Mecca. So who knows? Uh, maybe it, maybe it, maybe it uh, is not a neutral, neutral site. And all I know is it, it, it was a heck of a lot better atmosphere than those games that they played at RFK. Yeah. Yeah. Well, needless to say, good, good. It looked like a good September in the Northeast for football. And so props – look, the non-conference schedule has been brutal for the MEAC. It really has. I, I'm just kind of looking – and it started off so well. I mean, really it did. It started off with that MEAC SWAC victory. You had Dell State beating uh, Bowie State. But since then, since that, you've had – let me count them out here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten – About 14 straight losses until North Carolina Central came back to beat uh, Winston-Salem State this past weekend. But it has been a brutal offseason. And most of the and, and here's the thing. When you only have six teams, the majority of your schedule is non-conference. The majority, like... You have to play, if to get 11 games in, you have to play more non-conference than conference. Right. Most of these schools are playing, you know, a non-conference schedule. Uh, the conference schedule really doesn't even start until about mid-October. 
mid to late October. That's when you get into the conference season. I mean, the conference season is only five weeks, really, five or six weeks. So a pretty interesting uh, scenario there for both of those schools. What's that? When you think about it, they get into conference the conference schedule during homecoming time. So I, I really want to look and see it, potentially everybody could be everybody's homecoming date. The way the conference schedule is uh, looking up, everybody's going to be on somebody's homecoming schedule. Right. Yeah. The first games in conference don't start until October, uh, till Friday, October 8th, matter of fact. And that's Morgan State at Howard. Uh, and then they then there's a game the following week on the 16th, and then the full season starts October 23rd, and that's week eight. So by that point, you're into week eight of the college football season by the time the conference season starts. So, you know, just uh, take that in consideration. While we're talking about the MEAC, uh, got to mention North Carolina Central, who's now 2-1 and one on the season, Coming from behind to get a win against Winston-Salem State, these schools had not played in over a decade. Uh, Winston-Salem State jumped out to a 13-3 lead after scoring 13 straight points. But North Carolina Central managed to rally, scoring 17 straight points, scored a game-winning touchdown with a minute and 41 to play. Special note here, Drew, North Carolina Central's last two drives, the score, this is the drive to tie the game and the drive to win the game. Those final two drives, 13 plays, 80 yards in six minutes, five seconds. That tied the ball game up. And then a seven-play drive for 65 yards and 343 to win the game. That was in the fourth quarter. So uh, North Carolina Central had to do some work. And they did it without their starter from – the MEAC SWAC challenge, Darius Richard. We have any word on what happened to Richard? No, have not have not seen anything. No news on on why he uh, did not play. Uh, but uh, that was uh, that, that was the home opener for North Carolina Central at uh, O'Kelly Riddick Stadium. And uh, of course, it had been a long time since those uh, since those two rivals uh, had had met, and it was actually the first first opportunity for North Carolina Central to play with their uh, with their quarterback uh, Walker Harris, who took over the starting role from Darius. Now, Darius did have one pass attempt in the ball game, Drew, so maybe. Maybe there's something going on there. We'll kind of have to check the reports and kind of see what was going on. Uh, also in MEAC action from the past weekend, uh, Morgan State played an FCS opponent, Sacred Heart, at a much better showing than they did last week against Tulane. They only lost 21-7. to They did cover the 15 points, but uh, they still much better showing. Didn't give up 69 points or whatever it was they gave up to Tulane. And then uh, probably a disappointing game, I think, Drew, was South Carolina State's loss to New Mexico State, an FCS school. Uh, they lost North New Mexico State won that contest thirty-four to thirty-five. South Carolina State trailed thirty-six to thirteen at half. You heard me right, thirty-six to 
36 to 13. But New Mexico State scored touchdowns or field goals on their first seven possessions. Seven, Drew. One, not two, not three, not four. You get so seven, seven straight. Hey, and six of them were in the first half. Uh, and six of the seven were touchdowns. So by the time by the time South Carolina State had a chance to breathe and realize, well, you know, hey, okay, let's get some stops defensively. Uh, it was a little bit too late. Uh, Corey Fields put up some big numbers, but you kind of mentioned this, Drew. You know, we're we're used to seeing guys get these big numbers. You know, three hundred fifty-two passing yards, four touchdowns, but he had three interceptions. Um. South Carolina State, zero and three. Drew, that's shocking. I'm a little, I'm a little surprised by that. Are you? Yes, I thought they would have uh, gotten. Well, not really. When you look at this, at the gauntlet of a schedule that they have, and I, and I, Lord Jesus, I hate to say this, Alabama A and M was the most winnable game that they've had in this zero and three stretch. I disagree. I think New Mexico State was the winnable game. <laughs> to be honest, this was the winner. Actually, this was the 1A game, and I thought the Alabama A&M game was the 1B game that was winnable for South Carolina State. We, we, we may disagree on it, but, you know, we we all knew they weren't going to win last week. No, they no, win. yeah. We, we knew they weren't going to beat Clemson, right. They got, they got their cash app. They, they went on about their business on that one. But, <laughs> but you know, but they've had two of their three games have been winnable for them. That's the sad thing about it with the Alabama A&M and this New Mexico State contest. Both winnable games. They don't turn the ball over. They get a stop. Even with turning the ball over, if they get a stop or two down the stretch, they're in the game. And let's remember, Alabama A&M, they had the ball last with the opportunity to win that game. So yep. South Carolina State, once they get that little bitty thing figured out, they are going to be something to reckon with. The question is, will North Carolina Central be the one that challenges them in the MEAC? Because Central has found a way to get it done this year, which builds that confidence versus South Carolina State, which has found a way not to get it done. I I have a whole new, you know, I think a lot of people had had eyes on the South Carolina State-Norfolk State matchup. I, and, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think North Carolina Central is a real live player in this whole mix. Now, I, I think – and I don't know if there's a difference now between – I mean, obviously, North Carolina Central has two wins, uh, you know, which I think is more than Norfolk State and South Carolina State. But I, I got to – I don't know if there's much of a difference between those three teams right now. And, and these next couple of weeks will flesh that out because they're all FCS opponents. South Carolina State has a bye week. Then they play Bethune-Cookman and FAMU. North Carolina Central takes on A&T this upcoming weekend. Then they play Mississippi Valley State and then Tennessee Tech. 
Uh, Norfolk State has St. Francis, an FCS school, and Hampton. So I think these next two to three weeks, you're, if, you wanna, if you're one of those people who really want to kind of handicap the MEAC race and say, okay, who's going to win or who's going to be your favorite to win, you're going to know for sure based on the performances of the next three weeks. Uh, and, and the uh, X factor – Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the X factor might be Dell State, uh, who they just lost to East Tennessee State, who's not, who's ranked. I mean, that's a team who's ranked 16th, 17th in the country uh, in the FCS polls. Uh, they lost to them 38-6. to But Dell State has uh, – I, I think Dell State is a, is a legitimate team, and they too have FCS opponents over the next three weeks. Well, two out of the three – next opponents are FCS. Go ahead, what you were saying. I was going to say, you know, we really uh, not talking too much about next week's schedule yet, but something I want to put out as far as this BAC goes. We got the Aggie Eagle Classic next Saturday. If Central wins the Aggie Eagle Classic and I hope Jamie Walker listened to me when I say this. Do you consider Central the best HBCU in the state of North Carolina, especially after they just beat Winston-Salem State this past weekend? Well, that'll be that'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, that that'll be interesting. Interesting to see. Uh, at the, the, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, A and T was a school in North Carolina. Everybody there might be a couple of schools it. in the CIAA who might have something to say about that. I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking right now who's in the who's in the CIAA. They might, they might have a few words to say about that. I mean, would you get Fayetteville, Shaw, right? Possibly well, we could go into that conversation, but you know they've already beaten Winston Salem, so we can eliminate them from the competition just be, just based on the head to head. Right. Right. Uh, before just, we, just before we go, think about. sure, sure. Before we go to break, I got to mention Norfolk State and EC Elizabeth City uh, State uh, record performance by Jawan Carter, Norfolk State's quarterback, and a sixty-three to twenty-six victory over ECSU uh, seems to be uh, everybody's punching bag these days. Uh, teams getting putting up major stats and setting all kinds of records on ECSU. Uh, But a couple of notes here. First off, Drew, Jawan Carter, 23 of 30, 353 yards passing, five touchdowns. Those five touchdowns tied a Division I single-game record for touchdowns at Norfolk State. Uh, I think he had thrown for four touchdowns in a few previous games. So he matched a career mark at the school uh, they put up 675 yards of total offense, which also was a school record. 63 points was a school record in their Division One era. Uh, defensively, they got eight sacks in the ball game. But I put a double asterisk by this, Drew, and this might this will probably worry Coach Odoms. Norfolk State committed five fumbles in this contest, lost five fumbles, and yes, they got eight sacks. But uh, ECSU, no turnovers in the ballgame. And their quarterback actually had a pretty good day, Kevin Caldwell. 
Uh, he was 26 of 38, 339 yards and threw four touchdowns. So I, I'm sure, you know, you can be impressed by the win, but I'm sure Coach Odoms is going to be real concerned about that ball security and those fumbles, which kill drives in that contest. But uh, take that, take that win with a, with a little asterisk drew because it was against a division two opponent. So let's, let's, let's make sure we get this in perspective, Brian. This is the same Elizabeth city state team who went two and nine in 2019. This is the same Elizabeth city state program that went uh, one and seven in 2018. This is the same Elizabeth City State team that just lost to Bluefield State College two games into their rebirth. No disrespect, Bluefield State, but I I just got to put this into some type of perspective. This is the same Bluefield State that we're talking about, right? I mean, same uh, Elizabeth City State. That's two and one now, Drew. Put some respect on their name. They're two and one now. (laughs) <laughs> well, we'll I'll, get you, I'll, get you, I'll get to them in a minute. But this is Save Elizabeth City who with the, who that Dolfo just set all these records against, right? But you gave up five yes. fumbles. Yes. Uh, so, uh, sorry, tell Mr. Fulford, tell Ms. Fulford, I know they ain't doing four grads, tell Trevor Jones, oh, but bring my y'all have no, this, I, I'm, not, I'm not scared of y'all. You brought my parents yet. into this. Good Lord. No, I know, you know, it's all HBC you love, but I'm not scared of North Folk yet. They got too much steel to figure out to to get into the upper half of the BAC. My God, I love you, Drew. All right, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, wet, sloppy conditions for the uh, defending HBCU champs. What does that mean for their road ahead? Are they really the best team in H? Are we at the point where we can determine if they're the best team? in HBCU football. We'll kind of, we'll break that down a little bit here coming up after this break. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian and AD here. We'll be back in just a moment. Sugar Chateau Desserts is a specialty bakery located in the Charlotte, North Carolina metro area. We will create delicious and one-of-a-kind treats for any occasion. 
Sugar Chateau is currently shipping cakes in a jar, offering a variety of different flavors in a single serve container that can help you celebrate in accordance with social distancing. Place your orders today by calling 803-526-7895 or visiting SugarChateauDesserts.com. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. I'm returning to Clinton, Paris, and Tampa's my community. I grew up here, went to school here, and my wife and I make our home here. What makes Tampa special are its people. So when I represent someone injured in my community, it's personal. Call my office and speak to a real lawyer and not some referral service. I will fight the insurance companies to get the settlement that you deserve. At the Law Office of Clinton Paris, we take the pain out of being hurt. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you guys for what you do for HBCU Athletics. This is a fantastic avenue for, for, for all of us. This is our ESPN, so we, 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 we love what you guys do. Brian, AD, Roy, all you guys at BCSN, we really appreciate what it is that you guys, you guys do for us. Welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian and AD here recapping week number three of the HBCU football season. Uh, let's jump over to the SWAC, Drew. Let, you know, we mentioned earlier, we mentioned the uh, Jackson State uh, loss. We we mentioned um, the Prairie View A&M win. But, but I think we got to take note and mention here this Alabama A&M uh, win over Bethune on Thursday. Um, a couple of notes here, Drew, for Alabama A&M, t- 27-10 at halftime. Uh, and, and look, the field conditions, the field is great. The weather was horrible. 
I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Thank God the they field, got turf. Yes, field turf, great field conditions, you know. And, and I thought if it wasn't, you know, this one of those games where it's hard to imagine outside of, you know, that kickoff return right there that produced a touchdown for Bethune, they really weren't in the first half. I mean, the first half was completely dominated and controlled by Alabama A&M. Um, but, you know, funny thing about momentum. Momentum, as, as we saw, uh, as you can see in any football game, when it jumps from one sideline to the other, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing, man. And I, I thought uh, Bethune really took advantage of, of the opportunity. They didn't take advantage of all the opportunities, but they took an advantage of enough opportunities that gave them a chance late in that ball game to actually be on a drive that could have won the ball game or at least sent it to overtime. Uh, final score was 30 to 27. Bethune covered the four and a half points. Um, what are your thoughts on that game from, from, from what you saw, Drew? I didn't really get into the game until the second half of the game, but from what I saw, saw the ball on the ground a lot between these two teams, and I'm assuming that was because of the wet conditions that they were that they were playing in. But talking about this off air, Alabama A&M seems like they can't put teams away thus far in the two games that we've had this year. They, you know, they let South, excuse me, South Carolina State stay close to them. They let Bethune get back into the game and stay close. Sooner or later, this is going to bite them in the you-know-what. South Alabama A&M has not been able to put, put their neck on someone's throat and close the game out with just their one additional Dry. Why is that, Brian? Why is it that Alabama A&M can't close it out? Is it the defense? Is it the offense? Is it turnovers? Is it penalties? What is it, Brian? It's two games is too short of a sample size to really say. But but here's some interesting things to take note of. One, a Quill Glass has not thrown an interception yet. Now, he did throw one in the game against Bethune, but it ended up being um, it ended up being uh, called back because of a penalty. So wiped off the board. Um, so he's six touchdowns, no interceptions. His completion percentage, and I brought this up in the preseason, his completion percentage has dropped below the 60-something percent mark where he was in 2018 and 19, you know, and it was something, or maybe 2019. I, it's something I noticed in 2020 in the spring when I noticed his touchdown to INT ratio going one direction. Um, so what, what, what does that mean? Well, what I'm seeing is on third downs, third downs have been the bugaboo for Alabama A&M this year. On third down against South Carolina State, Drew, they were 6 of 14. On third down against Bethune, they were 6 of 15. Now, with that said, though, on fourth down, they are perfect 4 for 4 on the year. 
They went three for three against South Carolina State and one for one against Bethune. And one more thing. When Alabama AM gets to the red zone, it is practically money in the bank. They are 12 of 13 on the season, and nine of those 12 scores have been touchdowns. They were six of seven against South Carolina State and six of six against Bethune. So you talk about why can't they put people away? I think because they found some runs, but when they need to get that fourth down, when they get that, when they get put in a third and long, and, and I haven't charted it all out, but just from what I saw this past Thursday and looking at the, the drive charts, they get caught in a third and long and they don't get the pass completion. I mean, that's eight, nine third down plays in which, you know, they're not converting. And then you subtract them going for fourth down, you know, that becomes uh, probably a, a few less conversions on third down, you know, just kind of doing the math there. You know, if they're leaving eight on the floor, then they got five. So you got five third downs that turn into punts or turnovers, uh, not by not by interceptions against South Carolina State. And then you've got uh, nine third downs, really eight of them, that turn into, you know, flipping it over to the other side. So that the reason they're not putting people away Look at them on third down. You know, when you should be blowing somebody out, maybe you're getting to third down less. I mean, that's a lot. of. I mean, 14 to 15 third down, that's a lot, I think. So that's the one thing I would look at. I, I, I think the offense maybe isn't putting the defense in a spot to, to keep that opponent away. Or, you know, it's just I think we're going to have to continue to see the next couple of weeks you know I think we do need another sample size of two more games to kind of see but they're, they're about to creep into the conference schedule so I don't know if they have much time to kind of figure it out Drew well they've got at least one other week to figure it out they've got Tuskegee this upcoming week down in Mobile and so this is the time for them to take it take uh take advantage of that opportunity to, fig- to figure these things out. One thing that I've noticed, though, is Alabama A&M has had sizable leads in both of these games. And a lot, and like I said, allow those teams to come back. They were up multiple scores against South Carolina State. They were up three, four scores in, in this game, three scores in this Bethune game, and allowed Bethune mm-hmm. to creep back into the game. And both these teams had the ball at the end of the game with the opportunity to beat Alabama A&M. Alabama A&M's defense came through in the crunch, but it should not be that close when you have a team like this. And then also, Brian, maybe Alabama A&M, when they do have those balls, are scoring too fast not allowing the defense to get rest, as they say. I don't have the time of possession chart in front of me, but I'm just curious to see what that time of possession is looking like because sometimes you can score too fast, and then you're not allowing the defense to to catch his breath. Also, on those third downs, you say those third down passes, that stops the clock. 
which gives those those seconds back instead of instead of 40 seconds running off the clock, the game clock. That's an additional 40 seconds. When you do that six, seven times a game, that's that two minutes that we've seen at the end of the game, that two, three minutes that allows the other team to make that comeback attempt. True indeed, true indeed. Alabama AM has got Tuskegee coming up this upcoming weekend. Uh, that'll be an interesting contest. Um, we'll have first time, we'll have first hand visuals of that, won't we, Drew? Yes, you've seen Alabama A and M. That'll be uh, good. I've seen I've seen Tuskegee twice this year, so that that's going to be interesting. You and I will uh, be there in hand on the call on this particular game on Saturday in Mobile, Alabama, and and I'm looking for and I'm looking forward to it. Tuskegee has a great record when they go down to Mobile. Do not know what Alabama A and M has done in Mobile, but I do know this. Tuskegee owns the series record against Alabama AM. Whoa, really? I believe it's something like 37 to 15 or somewhere along those lines. But Tuskegee does own the all time record against uh, Alabama AM. But I don't think this one is going to be one of those seasons. But here's (laughs) something to look for Tuskegee, this past Saturday. Ran the ball 50 times Mm. in their win against Edward Waters. Whether that was because of the field conditions, because Tuskegee still has natural grass in their stadium, or whether that was the game plan coming in, because their quarterback play has been spotty at best. Let's see if Tuskegee continues with their same game plan against Alabama A&M, which they need to, to try to shorten the game to keep a queer glass off the field and if the Alabama A&M defense can stop the Tuskegee run game. Um, let's shift over to the 13th member of the SWAC, McNeese State, on the road at Southern University, head coach Jason Rollins, from McNeese State, got a chance to put just, I mean, you talk about big wins for the conference. This would have been a major win for the conference. Southern had a 21-10 to lead at the half, got out to a great first-half start. Uh, Ladarius Skelton uh, with three touchdown passes in the first half. I mean, literally, I mean, three touchdown passes from Skelton. Uh, two of them were for 42 yarders each. But unfortunately, the second half happened. And McNeese State, <laughs> yeah, McNeese State figured something out and outscored Southern 10-0 at the end of the third, took the lead in the fourth, uh, and held Southern just the three yards. Three yards, or three points, excuse me, in the second half. Um, ended up defeating them 31-24 to uh, at Southern tough loss. I mean, that is a a brutal loss because that's a game that Southern had. That was the opportunity to exercise the demons of McNeese State who now have uh, I don't know, what's the streak up to now? 13 games? 13-0? I think they're 13-0. Like 
they, they have never lost to a SWAC team. Southern, Grambling. And they play all at least one a year. At least one a year. I, and, and we jokingly have started referring to them. At, well, previously they were the 11th member of the SWAC. Well, since they added to, you know, they, they've now been bumped down. Now they're the 13th member of the SWAC because literally they have an unbeaten record and nobody seems to figure out a way how to keep these guys down on the turf. And I, I tell you, man, that that's a that's a tough loss. And so I, I'm sure that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to kind of hear the comments. If you haven't listened to uh, the Carlos Brown show later on on Saturday, um, make sure to check that out. Uh, 10, 10 a.m. Central, 11 Eastern. I'm sure as the week marinates, uh, Southern fans will have a lot to a lot to chew on because coming out of coming out of this game against McNeese State, they, they get a get right game against Mississippi Valley State to kind of start the conference. But after the Miles win, that McNeese State game was supposed to be the victory. That was supposed to be a win that gets you going and gets you feeling good because you've got Mississippi Valley and Texas Southern, the first two games of the conference, Drew. I mean, that was the opportunity for Southern to have a great feeling. Now, I don't know what's, you know, two wins will still probably make you feel good, but man, what a missed opportunity. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, Brian. You, you are absolutely right. Here's another game that was interesting to me, Brian. Alcorn, South Alabama. Yeah. And considering what Alcorn went through early in the week, the fact that they were competitive in this game and had an opportunity to come down and to possibly win this game, that was a real interesting take on Alcorn. And shout out to Coach Fred McDare for doing what he had to do to prepare his guys to play despite the obstacles that have been thrown in front of him, not only this week, but throughout the past year, year and a half there at Alcorn State University. Yeah, uh, Southern, I mean, excuse me, Alcorn had a 14-7 lead at the half. South Alabama, 21-0 in the third quarter. And it's halftime adjustments. Again, another SWAC team. Shut out coming out of halftime. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit that there. I'm just gonna sit that on the table. <laughs> and that's all I'm gonna say. I mean, I don't think I need to say anything more. But that's disappointing, you know. And uh, you know, I know South Carolina is an FBS school. I get it, you know. Um, but three, and I say three because I'm I'm lumping FAMU and their loss to USF. Right in there. This was a weekend where between Jackson State, Alcorn, and FAMU, winnable games against FBS competition, for one reason or another, you come up short. You know? And this is what we, we talk about this part of the season, and we want these SWAC teams. We, you know, right? We, we feel like we have good players, good competitive Guys, you have guys who have transferred into the conference, into these programs. I, I don't know what it is, Drew. You know, I, 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 I mean, I don't. A lot of people will speculate: is it the coaching? 
Is it the depth? Is it really the training tables? Is it really the the facilities? I mean, what what is it? Something something is preventing us from closing these games out. I don't have a good answer for you because I, I you know I, I can't. I, I you have to go in and do some deep diving into the numbers and the plays and all the other metrics. If you wanted to go that far, we just know, you know, seven-point loss for Southern, seven-point loss for Alcorn. Um, you know, FAMU lost 38-17 to 17 to South Florida, but they got shut out 14-0 in the second quarter. Yeah, exactly. It was 10-3 to after the first. They get shut out 14-0 in the uh, second quarter. The rest of the game was even. Third quarter, fourth quarter, even it's it's one quarter, it's one quarter, and I and you know I don't know if it's the second quarter or the third quarter. Maybe that's what we should look for, Drew. Maybe that's the metric that we should look at and say what quarter is it that is killing our programs against these winnable games now, and winnable meaning there's no superstar on the other side because look, there are times when you play some FC, FBS teams. And they've got high level NFL talent. You're, like you're not going to be mistake. right. Yeah, you, that's not that's not a that's not a game you're expected to win. But you know, FAMU playing South Florida, who hadn't won this season, who had looked who had looked bad to be honest uh, up to that point, still trying to figure things out themselves. And all you got FBS talent on your roster that's what we're talking about. Those are the winnable games, in my opinion. You know, so that's that's what the miss is. Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff, I'm with them in that mix too. Uh, they lose to Central Arkansas 45-23. Uh, to 23. First quarter, 14-0. I mean, they got down 21-0 before they kicked the field goal. I mean, at that point, what are you to do? <laughs> what are you to do, Drew? You know, I, it's. But you know, the big the big thing that separates FBS from FCS is depth. A lot of times our ones could play with their ones. Our ones being the FCS program could play with the FBS ones. Where they get it keep- is that their twos and their threes are as good as their ones, and our twos and our threes are not as good as our ones. That's but just it, a generalization. It is, and I hear I always hear that. But again, did the twos and the threes for was it the twos and threes who were on the field for South Alabama in that sec, in that in that third quarter coming out of halftime? Was it the twos and threes that were on the field for South Florida? when they shut out FAMU in the second quarter? Was it the twos and threes that jumped out to a 21-0 lead for Central Arkansas State? No. It was the first team unit. So, I mean, I hear people talking about it. It it, it depends on the rotation. But you you have certain plays, certain situations, certain schemes where those twos and those threes tend to get in. And depending on what the other team is doing, they may get an extra rep or two. You know, you've got certain certain packages when you come when you, that you have certain situations. You know, if they're not getting into a a third and short 
where you go with a on the offensive side with a heavy package on the offensive side or a extra linebacker on the defensive side, that's a two or a three that may not be getting into the game as as often. So those are just different things that you have to that you have to consider. It's down distance game situations. Um, Grambling losing forty five nothing. That's two consecutive weeks they've been held scoreless. Thirty seven zero to Southern Miss, forty five zero to Houston. You got Prairie View coming up. Touchdown on the season. Right. Right, one touchdown on the year, and that came against Tennessee State to open the year, and they've got the um, State Fair Classic coming up next week against Prairie View, who's looking uh, mighty, mighty good. Let's take Prairie a break. If Prairie View defeats Grambling, they're 2-0 on the West and has a comfortable lead on the West because nobody else on the West has played a conference game. Yeah, sadly, I've seen that story for Prairie View, though. <laughs> I've yeah, seen them be out in front. We, we saw it for uh, UAPB for so many years, but last last spring it finally worked out for them. Well said. Let's take a break and let's get in the – let's talk about the teams we're bullish and bear about, and then let's kind of make a mention of some of our teams from the uh, Division Two and uh, the under D1 level when we come back out of this break. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap with Brian and AD. We'll be back right after these words. This is Carlos Brown letting you know that we're on the move. You can now catch the Carlos Brown Show beginning this July on the Black College Sports Network each and every Saturday from 11 to 1 Eastern Time. That's 10 to 12 Central Time. Same time, new place. On Facebook at the Carlos Brown Show and Black College Sports Network. Online at www.mybcsn.net. And on the BCSN app available on Google Play and the Apple App Store. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change.
right, welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian and AD here breaking down week number three in the HBCU landscape. Uh, like and subscribe if you're watching, where you're watching us at. Uh, make sure to share it with a friend. Let them know uh, about our show. We greatly appreciate you. And, hey, the podcast will be up a little bit later, if not tonight. Definitely, definitely will be ready in the morning. So if you didn't catch all of this uh, episode. It will be available for you uh, not only on the BCSN Pod Zone, but as well the BCSN Wrap, our own uh, uh, podcast feed as well. So uh, you can go check that out. Drew, let's go through the SIC games. Um, we'll start with where you were, Tuskegee, twenty-three to six over Edward Waters. You mentioned there were a couple of nice little rain delays there, weather delays, lightning delays. Um, we saw Edward from what you saw from Edward Waters at the beginning of the year to now, in contrast to what we saw from Tuskegee at the beginning of the year to now. Compare and contrast which direction these two programs are going. Edward Waters defensively looked better against Florida Memorial than they did against Tuskegee. But let's keep in mind, Florida Memorial tried to pass the ball consistently against Edward Waters. Tuskegee primarily ran the ball, 50, 50 rushing attempts. So Edward Waters' run defense doesn't look like it's as strong as it needs to be. But outside of a Kentucky State, how many teams in the SIAC are going to rush the ball for 50 yards? I mean, excuse me, for 50 attempts. So maybe uh, – Maybe Edward Waters has a chance. And for their defensive coordinator, uh, Coach Carter, former defensive coordinator at Tuskegee, was defensive coordinator in 2019, the last season Tuskegee played. You could tell he knew the Tuskegee offense because a lot of times he had people in position, but the wet and sloppy conditions played to – Tuskegee's advantage because whatever waters with that dude with their turf and everything that they have down there in Jacksonville probably have not practiced on a sloppy track before. And it's a lot easier for a team that practices on natural grass and plays on natural grass to play in those type conditions than it is for a team who's on turf all the time and on those, in those perfect conditions. Sit the turf aside. If that game is played on just on a dry day, you think that game outcome might be a little different? Possibly. Uh, there was a couple of times where you saw the Everwaters def- receiver beat the Tuskegee defensive back, but you saw you saw the receiver slip. So may have been a different outcome, may, maybe a play or two, but in general. No, I think Tuskegee, Tuskegee had the better team of the two. Tuskegee won the game. Tuskegee ha- has improved. The commitment to the run versus passing first was important for Tuskegee, realizing what they have there in the quarterback, throwing the ball less than 20 times in the game. So that was definitely improved. Offensive line looked great for Tuskegee. Penalties 
great for Tuskegee. And there really weren't a whole lot of penalties on either team. Both teams tended to play a clean game. But, yes, there were a few fumbles that were not on the stat sheet because, like I always say, fumbles recovered by the offense do not go on the stat sheet. All right. Um, let's quickly go through just or just kind of touch on what's happening on the west side. Uh, we've already mentioned Kentucky State with that loss uh, to Tennessee State. Uh, Kentucky State still is 1-0 and in the conference, uh, thanks to that win against Central State and 1-2 and overall. Um, Shaw University, uh, well, actually, Shaw, that's coming. That's a cross-conference uh, matchup. Central State, matter of fact, losing 52 to nothing. And if I'm not mistaken, that's two weeks in a row. Central State has been shut out. Unofficially, if I, you know, I don't know, correct me. I'm I'm looking real quick. Uh, Central State. No, actually, they did manage to get, uh, no, check that. They got a win against Lincoln, PA. Excuse me. Apologies to you, Central State. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, but 52 to nothing against Shaw. Another loss for the, uh, uh, well, actually, Actually, it's a a flip. Yeah, that's the first loss by the SIEC to the to the to the CIAA. Uh, now let, let let's think about this. The the it, it, it the, arguably the worst team in the SIAC this year in Central State dominated arguably one of the worst teams in the CIAA on last week, and then this week one of the better teams in the CIAA dominated one of the worst teams in the SIAC. I say that to say this, Brian, let's move on beyond this game because this game tells us absolutely nothing. <laughs> I was going to say, what, I said, what, what were you just, I, I, what were you just trying to compare there? And I, and then you just kind of threw a curveball at me. Like, okay, I didn't want, I didn't want, I wasn't going to stick there long. I just wanted to bring it up and keep moving. I mean, you're the one that you started down a road, that I was like, okay, where are you going with this? And then you just kind of <laughs> just, just you just ran it off the road and said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm leaving the car and the keys here. Anyway, <laughs> I was Miles with a three. Doing all that, but it didn't. <laughs> That's all right. 37 to 14 miles over Morehouse. Uh, whoever's running Miles' Twitter feed, I mean, just savage tweets on Morehouse uh, later. I mean, just, whoo. Uh, um, Mile, uh, Miles, uh, pretty much an even game in the first half. Matter of fact, Morehouse had a 14-13 lead uh, in the first half. Uh, but then the second half kicked in. And Miles just outscored Morehouse 24-0, two shutout quarters. Uh, Claude Newell had uh, two touchdowns in the third quarter, passes to uh, – Jai Andrews, one of forty-seven, one of twenty-four yards. He had three passing touchdowns in the day, and Miles just uh, just trolled and rolled. That's the best way we're gonna call that one uh, at uh, at the house. So again, uh, good good win for Miles uh, as they get their first win of the year after playing two FCS schools. Uh, Morehouse zero and three with a tough matchup coming up next week. At Savannah State. Um, Last week, Miles was the best 0-2 team that we had in HBCU football. 
Now, I mean, they get, they're getting back to their winning ways. This is Miles. This is Reginald Ruffin. They will still win the West. I, I really don't see it. And, you know, hope that Warhouse gets their stadium issues handled so they can get back to the AU Center to play ball. Wait, wait a minute. Morehouse has stadium issues? What did I miss here? Yeah, Where did no, they play that game, game at? at Lakewood, this game was played at Lakewood Stadium because there were some uh, repairs that they were behind on at Morehouse's stadium, so they had to take the game off campus to another site in Atlanta. Okay. Okay. I see. I, I did not even know that. Okay. Good to know. Um, Got to make mention um, – the East is where things are real competitive right now in the SIC. Uh, first matchup, uh, the, the, probably the matchup of the week, of the weekend, was Benedict traveling to Savannah State. I mean, Benedict was the number two ranked team in the uh, HBCU Pro Sports Media Poll of the uh, mid-major division, or under D1, uh, as we like to call it. And that's a team that was preseason fifth in the East, right? Taking on Savannah State, who was 5-0 and last year in the East, uh, preseason pick number one. And uh, I-, I thought it, would, it was an opportunity for Benedict. Uh, head coach Chenis Berry is a Savannah State alum, uh, one of their, one of their uh, football alumni greats. Uh, you know, and so this was an opportunity and, and he's from the area. So this was a homecoming for him and the young man um, for for uh, for Benedict, uh, their quarterback, who I'm, I'm telling you, man, they the uh, young man, Eric Phoenix. Watch out. Just remember the name. Eric Phoenix can play. And Savannah State jumped on this team. I mean, had a had a 27 I believe it was at halftime. The score was was uh, twenty seven to thirteen, uh, twenty seven thirteen at the half. And you know Savannah State really should have put this game away. But you know what happens again? Momentum. You leave a team around. You give a team an opportunity. Uh, a fumble here turns into big plays and momentums. And all next minute, you know, from about middle to third quarter. All the way into the fourth quarter, where Benedict Benedict literally came back down fourteen, tied the game up. No, check that they were down thirty four thirteen at one. It was thirty four thirteen at one point. Yes, came back and tied the game up at thirty four. And I tell you, Savannah State had to answer in the final four minutes of the ball game with a great drive uh, to to win that ball game. And, and all props to Devon Gibbons with a 34, 31-yard rushing touchdown to close that game out. But but uh, it was an outstanding ball game. And I'll tell you what, Benedict is here to play. I mean, I, those those first wins of the season against uh, Edward Waters and Allen, and you're putting up 44 points and you're stunting and all that other stuff you're doing on TV, and, hey, that's all great. Benedict is real, and that's 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 an interesting dynamic thrown into the East now, Drew. Yes, but that dynamic really just replaced Morehouse, who everybody thought was going to be that other team in the East uh, outside of Albany State, Savannah, and Fort Valley. And, and, and look at Fort Valley. They lost that game to Lane, you know. But getting back to these teams, 
the way it's looking right now, no one on in the East is going to be undefeated this season. The, the, as good as these teams are, somebody is going to knock somebody else off. So it, it's really going to be in. And Benedict got my respect. I, I was discounting Benedict because, like you said, Allen, Edward Waters. Now, even with the loss, they've earned extra points in my book. Right. Uh, you mentioned Fort Valley State. Uh, they had a contest where they were up uh, 24, 24-14. Yeah, 24-14. Going into the fourth quarter, gave up two scores, gave up two touchdowns to Lane and uh, Michael Huntley with a pair of touchdown passes in that fourth quarter sends Lane um, to a victory over Fort Valley. And Lane now is two and one, and more importantly, two and oh in conference. And Fort Valley now is one and two, zero and one in conference. I mean, obviously that's East versus West, but uh, that that's a that's an interesting dynamic there for Lane. I was going to say, check that, Brian. That, that game did not count for Fort Valley okay. when it comes one, to one of those standings. All right, yes. Now, see, you I, whatever I, you got, I, East, I, West, in the SIC, it account for the West. One game will count for the West and not count for the East. This was that game oh, for Fort go. Valley. They they escaped. Well, yeah, you're 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 correct. You're correct on that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, also Albany State goes to Valdosta State. Uh, check that. Yeah, goes goes to Valdosta State. Now Valdosta State, who had whooped up on two HBCUs, putting fifty on. Two teams the last two weeks only managed to score 21 points against Albany State. So I would say that's a good showing by Albany State, uh, who's ranked number one in the HBCU Pro Sports Media Poll. Um, that, that's a that's a good loss. Uh, if there's ever such a thing as a good loss, that's a good loss, 21 to three. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, interesting. I'm, I'm just a quick look ahead. Big matchup for next week will probably be the Benedict-Kentucky State game. That'll be the, in the Circle City Classic in Indianapolis. So that'll be the that'll be the feature game for the SIC next week. And, and you're getting a good Benedict squad. So wasn't really sure what kind of team you were getting, but you are getting a good team. Let's quickly jump over to the CIAA, Drew. Um, the biggest storyline out of the weekend from the CIAA, I would say, is Bowie State's. 21-13 win over University of New Haven uh, going on the road up to Connecticut to get that win. And Bowie keeps their unbeaten streak against Division II opponents. You know, uh, we keep finding new streaks to celebrate for Bowie State, but I guess we'd have to now <laughs> narrow it down to against Division II opponents, you know. Um, yes. so that, that happened. I think we mentioned a lot of the other games. Um, I know Shawan is not an HBCU, but they're in the CIAA. Pay attention to Shawan. 49 to 14 the win. Conference rating. They do. They do. So they are unbeaten. Do not be surprised to see that Shawan Bowie State game already. Get, get that date circled because that's going to be uh, a good game. Virginia Union, uh, gets a win over VUL. How about Bluefield State, yeah. Drew? 20 to 12, they are now two and one. Two and one on the year. 
against uh, with a with a win over Johnson C. Smith, man, unbelievable. Everybody needs a, a little bit of Lynchburg on their schedule when they need a get right game. So Virginia Union, you you had your get right game. <laughs> yeah, there there you go. Um, any other games of note that you want to mention, Drew, before we get ready to check out anything we might have missed from week three? I need you to go out west, Brian. And out let's, west? let's not let's not forget about that team in Oklahoma, Brian. Okay. Like, With that to Lions, nothing win over Wayland Baptist. Yes, but the, off to a three and oh start, three and oh in the Sooner Athletic Conference. A conference that they have won, uh, either won or tied for first place in the last since that conference has been around. Correct me if I'm wrong for three years. So, right. Let's not forget about Langston. Let's give them their love too. They are the only undefeated mid-major or under D two team in HBCU football. Just like Alabama A and M is the only. FCS team that we have that's undefeated after week three. So let's give them their props, Brian. Congratulations to Langston. And I'll tell you what, it'll be interesting to see what the pollsters do. Uh, you know, because sometimes, you know, pollsters, they just kind of look at wins and losses and move people up and down based on that versus really kind of looking at the schedule. And uh, like you said, with them being the only unbeaten, I would not be shocked to see a few people want to throw Langston in there as the number one team. Uh, yeah, they beat I won't BYU be surprised. Nineteen eighty-four for us. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right, Drew. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sports Wrap. Didn't get a chance to go through our bullish and bears, but uh, maybe uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to get together later on in the week, kind of preview week number four. And we can kind of go through our bull and bears for the week in that respect. So um, that's going to do it for this show. Any final words real quick, Drew, before we check out? No, just excited uh, that I'm going to be on location once again for that uh, Alabama A&M and Tuskegee game. It was great being back actually on campus for a game at at Tuskegee, even though campus was closed and uh, people were limited. It was still great to be back quote-unquote, to my to my second home at Tuskegee University. Well, we got another big Thursday night contest coming up. Alcorn State travels to the West Division champs. So it'll be the old champs versus the new champs or something to that effect. Anyway, somebody somebody's going to want to make us make a claim on a title coming out of this game on Thursday as Alcorn visits Arkansas <laughs> Pine Bluff. That game – that game will be on ESPNU. Two- yeah. Go ahead. I'm going to say two defending yeah, conference champions. Two yeah. defending well, champions. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, it'll be a 7 o'clock Eastern kickoff on ESPNU. That's 6 p.m. Central. So hopefully we get a chance to talk to you later on in the week with a preview of the action going into week number four. Uh, that's going to do it for this show. For my partner there, AD Drew, I'm Brian Fulford. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe the BCSN Sports Wrap wherever you can find us. We're everywhere. Just tell a friend, and we'd greatly appreciate the love and support. That's going to do it. We're out of here. Peace and love. I holla.